So if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, please turn with me to James chapter 4. We'll be in James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. So we'll be ending or completing chapter 4 today as we pick up our study walking through the letter of James. So these days, we as a society and as a people are in such a hurry. (laughs) You know, we must go here and we must do this and we must do that and so on. You know, hurry up and grow up. Hurry up and get an education. Hurry up and get to work. Get a job. Hurry up and get married. Hurry up and have children. Hurry up and be successful. Hurry up and retire. And why don't you just hurry up and go on and die? Isn't that the sense about things? From one direction or another, or even many directions? That we live at such a frenetic pace. And I'm guilty of this too. I mean, my goodness. I mean, we certainly aiming to be faithful at home and loving my family and our five children and caring for them, discipling them, loving them, leading them. And then, of course, I'm the pastor here at Haven, which requires all variety of things of me which I am deeply thankful for and take as a very serious responsibility. But then also I'm I'm pursuing a Ph.D. as well, which I'll be leaving for my classes this shortly after this service. (laughs) And then we've been painting our home over this past year as well. And so I, I get it as well. I get the hurry. I feel it. Yet as we do this and as we do that, growing up, living, dying, it seems that it would be a wise thing to do in the midst of all of that, in the midst of all the hurry, to slow down and to ask ourselves, is this what I should be doing? Why am I doing this or that, going here or going there. Or even just to simply ask, at the end of the day, at the end of the year, which we're very close to, at the end of my life, what have I done with this? What have I done with this life that God has given me? Have I been faithful? Or have I wasted it? Have I wasted this one life that God has given me? Now these these are questions that I would imagine that you are concerned with. I know I'm concerned with them. Yet, the reality is, is that we so often don't ask those kind of questions, do we? We just keep on going. Keep along, get your education, and so on, and so on, and so on, and so on, and so on. Well, this morning, I want to encourage you, let's not 
keep going. Let's stop right now in this service. This is your opportunity to stop and to consider your life. For us to consider our lives this morning and to ask, what are we doing? What are we doing with this life that God has given to us? Or what are we not doing? Let's consider what James says here and whether we're aiming at what matters most. I mean, not just at anything, but are we aiming all we are at God and at lives lived in submission to God and aimed at the glory of God? And I hope by the end of this sermon that you will be aiming at that. So let's consider this then, beginning with verse 13 of James chapter 4. May God grant us eyes to see and ears to hear his inspired word this morning. Amen. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Well, as we've seen in the past, James, and as I've said a number of times now, James is an immensely practical book. And so far, we have definitely seen that again and again. And so far, we've understand something of how he has, you know, connected one passage to the next. Yet we've also said it's not always clear how he's exactly doing that how he's connecting everything. And so we've had to do some studying. We've had to make some connections and see how the verses connect. Well, this, and our verses here this morning, this is one of those spots. So we have seen in chapter 4, fights and quarrels, worldliness, speaking evil against each other. And then now... Boasting about tomorrow. And so you see, right? Well, how how does all that connect? That doesn't sound like it's all connected one to the next. So how does all that connect? Well, you might say that this whole section that we're in, in verses 1 through 17, that it all got kicked off back in chapter 3, in verses 13 through 18. What was James talking about there? Well, he was discussing wisdom that is from above, so heavenly wisdom, and contrasting that with earthly wisdom. So earthly wisdom, as in wisdom wrought of the flesh and of the world, 
and of the devil, that wisdom, it leads to all sorts of trouble. And we have seen that again and again and again in in this chapter. It leads to selfish ambition and every vile practice. Chapter 3, verse 16. We have seen that lived out in verses 1 through 12. And so we've seen all that in all those verses. And so here then we still have this emphasis on contrast between wisdom that's from above and then earthly wisdom. Between godliness and between worldliness. And so we come now face to face with our need for wisdom here and now. Like right now in the midst of our days, in the midst of a society that is speeding on from one thing to the next with a great deal of ferocity, such a frenetic pace. And so amidst these days then, our days, consider your theology of planning. Consider your theology of planning. Now, upon hearing that, you might be thinking, oh boy, (laughs) we're going to talk about planning today? Okay, I don't know about that, Pastor. Why are we talking about planning? I mean, that's not Sunday sermon material. I mean, maybe we could talk about that on a Wednesday night or in private and Bible study. But why are we talking about planning Well, it's just there that we see a disconnect. A disconnect that has been going on, sadly, for many, many years. Between the Christian faith and the fact that Jesus, when he says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. When he says that, he's not just saying, yeah, you can kind of have your foot in, like following me kind of. And you can just live your life over here completely having nothing whatsoever to do with me at all. And that's just fine. And I would say that's the majority of how people have understood the Christian faith. Perhaps even the majority of Christians in the church today. And so it's just there that we see a disconnect that was never meant to be. And it's really not the first time that we've seen this sort of thing in this letter. And so we need to consider, you need to consider your view of the Christian faith. It is not, and hear me, it is not for a small segment of your life. It is your life. Period. Christ is not like your little coin over here. He is your treasure. The joy of joys. Lord of lords. King of kings. No one has master over you but him and him alone. He is your life. Jesus bought you if you know Christ this morning. And that includes all of this. My life is yours. That's what you just saw in baptism. Her life is his. New life, all his for his glory. 
He bought that for himself. And so your life is his if you know Jesus Christ, all of it. Unless maybe it's not. Maybe you are someone who has bought into the idea that the Christian faith is really just a foot over there and really a pinky toe over there and really the rest of you over here. And so perhaps you took off one mask in saying that you're a Christian just to put on another mask. It's really not the real thing. It's just this Christian thing you do every so often. Well, James is calling us to just this. Not to being fake, but he is calling us to the real thing. And that's perhaps why we've had a lot of trouble with James <laughs> over these last few months. No facades, no smoke and mirrors. The whole man, the whole woman following Christ. So it is then. It makes complete sense then that we come to these verses. Because your life belongs to God. And so how you plan matters. And so as James is apt to do, he gives two sides to this. To our consideration of our theology of planning and what is driving that. Whether it's good or bad. And so first here he addresses worldly planning. Worldly planning. And so this is what this person is about in verses 13 through 14. And verse 16. At the get-go... We can say, this is not how you should plan. (laughs) Don't plan this way. If you want to waste your life, and that would be the Christian, or Christian, pinky toe over here, hold the rest of you over here. If you want to waste your life, set yourself upon this kind of planning. Then you will waste your life. No matter how big your house is, no matter how much money do you have, no matter how much success you have in this world, you have wasted your life. And as we see this person here, something is missing, isn't it? Something is not in you here. God. God is not in you here. So worldly planning, it says this, what James says. It says, I'll go to such and such a town and spend a year there and make or in trade and make a profit. So I'll go to Huntsville, Alabama and spend my life there and work for the government and raise a family and build a big house and make a living. And maybe that's why you are here is for that very reason. We see this sort of planning by what we don't see. It's not a matter of what God wills. In fact, it's not about God at all. And many live their lives this way. You know, days and months and years, a lifetime go by, and this is their life. Now, church, it might be part of that, yet at its heart, isn't God, but the world. And so if God's not in view, who is primarily then in view here? 
You are. You are in view. Self is in view. Self is at the center of all the decisions that you're making as you plan, as you go, as you do all you do. And so you go and do whatever you like. You'll take this job. You'll move here or there. You'll use your money for this or that. And behind it all, even in going to church, is your main aim, all glory, be to me at the end of my days. Self and selfish ambition. It might well be that behind much of our hurrying isn't our aiming at God and His glory, but it's aiming at our glory and not His glory. All glory be to my name is the tone, the song of our life. And then we go and have a funeral service with all the food afterwards and everyone moves on. Give it a hundred years and no one will probably remember you. So is that really what you need to be focusing on? So James, he focuses here on money. So to trade and make a profit is what he says. So money is their God or maybe your God. But it could be anything. It could be something else behind your planning. It could be a spouse. It could be your children. It could be a nice house. It could be a good reputation. Yet behind it, it's, it's driven by a godless pursuit. And so James, he puts all of this into perspective by telling us very plainly that your life is a vapor. Your life is a vapor. Verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Friends, our lives are so terribly, terribly brief. The psalmist David, he puts it this way in Psalm 39. He says, Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you, before God. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. (sighs) That was you. That was your life just now. A mere breath. So how are you planning it? What are you doing with it? Now James, he might well have in mind here the man in Luke chapter 12. And so there is Jesus and he's, he tells this story of a rich man or more properly if You look at the title above those verses is the rich fool. And so Jesus, he tells the parable and he says, the land of a rich man produced plentifully and he thought to himself, 
what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. How many warnings do we need? How many times we are told again and again from God throughout history, throughout his word, We are warned. Warned of all variety of things, but certainly here of what James is saying. And what Jesus was saying in Luke 12, be careful of covetousness, of looking to what can't last to give you what it can't give. The things this world can't give you life. It can't give you ultimate joy. They can't make you right with God. They cannot make it where you're not wasting your life. Aiming your life towards the world is like that. It only gives you these kind of misty things. Your job can't give it. Money cannot give it. Your spouse cannot give it. And you need to hear that and maybe There's all variety of toil in your home and perhaps you have been clinging to your husband or your wife asking them to provide something they absolutely cannot give you because you were not made for them. You were not made to be satisfied in them. You were made to be satisfied in the living God. Or maybe it's your children. They can't give you this either. And so you hold on tight to them saying, no one's taking my gods away from me. And so you live and fight. You fight for mists. And your life is a mist. James, he says here in verse 16, that boasting about tomorrow is evil boasting. Boasting as though this life is about you, about what you lay up for yourself, about what you can do for your glory, that is evil and that is not to be your aim. It is not to be our aim. And I plead with you, don't waste your life. That is wasting your life. Aiming to glorify yourself is wasting your life. So instead of worldly planning, instead of that, we're to embrace this other one. Godly planning. Godly planning. Now this is about more than a planner. (laughs) If you're thinking of a planner right now, that's not bad. But that's not what this is about. It may include that, but it's more than that. 
It's the disposition of your thinking. It's the love of your loves. It's your affections. It's the outflow of what you really want, what you're really ultimately, primarily pursuing above everything else. That's what this is about. So in other words, it's about what's behind why you decide and plan and do what you do and why you decide the way you decide. Here we're called not to live with God out of you, but to live all of life where God and his will are always in view. Where God and his will are always in view. And this is why James uses the word there in verse 15. One word, instead. Instead of worldly planning, instead of self-sufficiency and self-centered planning, We're to orient our lives this way instead. Verse 15, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And so this means living life in view of God, in view of his sovereignty, in view of the fact that he is in control, this is his world, this is his universe, The galaxies upon galaxies stretched throughout the universe. They're all his. You're his. Your children are his. Every blade of grass is his. And he is working all of history out for his glory. In view of him and his reign over all things, then you live and breathe and do all that you do. This is living life in submission to him and to his will and whatever that may be ahead. Whatever he ordains is right. It's trusting him for your days. Now an obvious question arises at this point. How do we know? How do we know God's will? Well, we cannot and we do not know his secret will. Don't try. You're not going to know it. (laughs) That is his will that he alone knows. Deuteronomy 29, 29. But we can know his revealed will. In other words, we know God's will through his word. As 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, it says, All Scripture, this Bible, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. In God's Word, we know God's will. Just stamp that on your mind and on your brain because you need to because I I find it quite interesting that many will labor so long and so hard 
over what they feel is God's will. And they'll labor so long and so hard on what they sense is God's will. While ignoring what is God's will in his word. They won't labor over that, but they'll feel, they'll sense, they're into it all day long while ignoring God's will that he's given in his word. Friends, if you want to know God's will, go to God's word. And the spirit of God that he's given the children of God, he uses the word of God to guide the children of God. That's how the spirit works. He brings it to mind, the word of God, and leads us and guides us in every area of life that we may glorify him. And so that means that we ought to then, by faith, pour over it, study it, read it, and live by it. Rather than going around as a bunch of mystics who really don't know God's will, but are making it up as they go. Also, See this sort of planning, godly planning. It is planning that goes above and beyond you. It goes above and beyond you. It's planning unto God and His glory. It's strategizing your life. You work carefully as you plan for, you know, whatever children, a house, I got to build this, I got to make blueprints and so on or whatever. You work hard at your job and you make all these different plans and you make all these outlines and so on. It is strategizing your life and your days to the glory of God. You look out over all those things and you say, well, how will I glorify God in everything? By his grace, empowered by the Spirit. As a sinner. It's aiming your life. In the way that David read a moment ago from Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6.33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. It's even, it's the heartbeat of Jesus. Everything he did, he did in submission to the Father. That's to be your life. That's to be my life. That's to be our life. Lives lived saying, verse 15, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. And that isn't averse to planning. It's to be the heartbeat behind your planning. And so you look out and do what you do. And so, plan to the glory of God. Plan to the glory of God. Consider your days. Consider your life. All of the hurry, all of the things you're doing. And ask yourself, where where is God in them? How is God's word and the gospel directing 
then? How is it directing not your husband's life, your wife's life, your children's life? How is it guiding your life? Now, how does this work? How does this work out practically, though? It's asking, when you buy a new home, how will buying this allow me to serve Christ more? Did you ask that question when you bought your home? It's asking, when you buy a new home, how will this allow me to serve others more for the sake of the gospel? It's asking, or it's saying, and even aiming, that you would use your home as a means for gospel advancement. It might even mean saying, I must find a home near to my church so I can be more engaged in service, more engaged in fellowship, more engaged in witness, more engaged in the life of the body of Christ. Now, if that sounds odd to you, it's because of the disconnect. We have so distanced ourselves from our faith And when we think of where we live, it has nothing to do with God. It has nothing to do with church and serving Christ. It's simply my plans. Let me go find it here or there. James is saying, may you plan and strategize your life for the glory of God. Beyond that, it means asking practically, Will taking that job allow you to still be faithful to your husband or your wife before God? Will you still be able to lead your children in God's word, in family worship, and take them to church and worship with them? Will you be able to be faithful to your family? Will you be able to be faithful to your church? Will taking that new job spur on gospel work or will it squelch gospel work in your life? It means asking, when you're single and you are looking for a husband or a wife, you ask yourself, are they a Christian? That's the first question that comes out of your mind and in your heart. Do they love Christ? Do they follow Christ And do they pursue Him as their treasure above all things, including me? That if if it comes down to it, they always choose Christ. No, no, No question about it. They love Him more. Is that what you're searching for? Well, that ought to be what you're searching for. Or it may even mean asking, could God be calling me to remain single for the glory of His name? which he does that too. I hope you see that this is not worldly planning. It's not about how much you have, how much you make, or something else. It's a life lived to please him. If he wills, I will go here, or I will go there. Let me say this because 
you'll be tempted in all variety of ways in this regard. This is for you, whether you're here and you're young, like those children there and back there, or whether you're old. It's not thinking, you're hearing this sermon, children. It's not thinking, well, I'm a child. I have my whole life ahead of me. Well, you may not. You may not. God forbid that be the case. But you, children, need to be asking these questions too. They're not just for the adults in the room. They are for you, children. It's not thinking I'm in high school or college. I'm a student. The world is before me. You know, I could go and change the world. Well, it may not be before you. Whereas adults, it's not saying, you know, one day things will slow down and then I'll make more about God. I'll think more about God. I'll think more about his will. I'll start thinking about going to church. I'll start thinking about serving in church when things finally slow down. No. Not in our day. It's not saying if there's someone older here saying, well, I have lived my life. I've served in the church. I've done my time. And there's no more I can do. What's well, none of those things? Living for God's glory is for you right now. As long as you have breath in your lungs. Live for the glory of God. If it means you can only sit And pray, because you can't do anything else with the rest of your body. You can do little things, but nothing else. You just pray. You pray for me. You pray for all these people. You pray for the Sunday school teachers. You pray for the children. You pray for all the people in this area. You pray for our country. For the glory of God. And so instead of saying all of those things with your children or whoever you are, maybe that you and I would say this. I know I may be fill-in-the-blank young, a student, old, whatever, but my life is yours to do with as you please. And when you say that, mean it. Whatever you want me to do, God, I will do it by the grace of God. So this is the thrust of what James is saying here in our verses this morning. Yet before he ends here, we see one final exhortation and we see this exhortation. Consider the right thing you need to do and do it. And do it. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, verse 17 For him, it is sin. If you know the right thing to do this morning and you are not doing it, see it for what it is. It is sin. Now let's be clear here, okay? When Jonah 
He ran from God. You know, Jonah swallowed by a big fish. We don't know if it was a whale, but a big fish. He disobeyed God. When he did that and he ran, that was not okay. Let's not romanticize it. Even pastors do this. You hear it from all the time. Oh, man, I ran from God for years. He wrestled me to the ground. Well, you know what? That was sinful. If you truly believe God was calling you to the ministry and you did not do it, not okay. So let's not romanticize this. It was sinful what Jonah did. And so in the midst of the hurry, in the midst of your life, what is God calling you to do here and now? Your life is a vapor and you do not know what tomorrow might bring. And so consider yourself now. And I mean now. Like stop now. Like remember the beginning of my sermon. You need to stop everything. This is the time for you to ask those questions. Maybe you're not asking as you're hurrying from one place to the next. Maybe as you go to one family to the next, as you're eating food here, eating food there, opening gifts here, opening gifts there. Stop right now and ask the questions that we started with this morning. Why are you doing this or that? Going here or there? What are you doing with this one life? Are you wasting it? Will you waste it? Or will you live it for the glory of God? And that might mean you have been putting off the things of God. Maybe you've said, I won't I'll put that church stuff off for later where God commands you, if you are a believer, to gather regularly with the saints. So if you're not, you're consciously sinning against God every single week. Maybe you've put that off. Maybe you've put off baptism. That is a command that Jesus obeys or commands His disciples to obey. Or maybe it's something else. Maybe you've been putting off the truth that you don't know God. Well, consider your soul today, friends. Consider Christ and what He did for you. That He came and died and was buried and He rose again and is alive right now and He knows you. And if you don't know Him, you are separated from God You don't know God no matter how many times you come to church. That's not what saves you. Christ is what saves you. So don't put it off any longer, but repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Put your faith in the one who loves you and came for you and died for you. That all your sins, all of them, will be forgiven. It might be, or it might be something else. It might be something you're doing or not doing. But the question is simple. Will you obey the Lord?
Will you obey the Lord? Ask yourself, am I trusting the Lord today? Am I trusting the Lord for tomorrow? And am I ready to be used by him for his glory? Because he will use you. He uses those who unreservedly are his. C.T. Studd, who I've quoted before, but so good. He said it well. Only one life. Yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say twas worth it all. Only one life twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. So may you, may you live for what lasts. May you live to glorify Christ. Let's pray. Well, Father, we come before you and you know us. You know our hearts, you know our wrestlings of heart and soul even now before your word. Help us, Lord. Give us grace with whatever it may be that we know that we need to be doing. May you help us to resolve right now to say, I will do it. May we resolve right now and say, Lord, my life is yours. Let it be lived to please you. If there's any here who don't know Christ this morning, We pray for them and ask that you would open their hearts and open their eyes by your grace and helping them to see the glories of the gospel, the treasure as the man who found it hidden in a field went and sold all he had and bought that field. It is a treasure and the treasure of treasures. And so we pray that you would work and may we respond for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.